talks about and he speaks about that's where his commission was, where he was taken. This was a great commission by Christ Jesus was to spread the gospel into all the world. And he's going to do that. Christ is going to do that, but with the very man that was going to Damascus and who had begged for a territory to be expanded so that he could go persecute him and kill him. And Paul then he speaks about what he did to them. It was horrible. You see, Damascus, it was a town where Christians most likely had dispersed in this day from the preaching and teaching of the apostles and maybe even Stephen and Philip. Damascus had been divided and had been cursed by God as we could find in the writings of Amos. Could someone look up Amos chapter 1 and read verses 3 to 5, please? Amos 1, 3 to 5. <coughs> see that there had been a great dearth in that town and now the gospel was being was going to be sent by Paul when he was actually going to be going there, and that his, his objective was to go basically go after them and hurt them. Anyone? That's it. Thank you. He says, I will not turn away my punishment there, but here you see the Lord giving Damascus another chance. And here the gospel is going to go to the Gentiles. But that, wasn't that the objective? Didn't the Lord say that in the Old Testament? We read several verses about giving, taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Jonah wasn't too happy with that, was he? <laughs> Jonah, when the Lord told Jonah to go into Nineveh, he didn't like that very much. But the Lord said it was going to happen. There had, been a, there had been a great dearth in that town. And Paul had been sent to Damascus. Saul was going to do it. He's going to go there to try to hurt them. And the Lord is going to use him to do great things. He is going there to eradicate the gospel message of Jesus Christ, who the Jewish council had the blood on their hands, and Paul would surely receive the blessing from the epicenter of the Jewish authority. And then the Lord basically would say to him very, very plainly, um, Paul, this time, this time you've had it. And this is what happens when the Lord speaks and he said something and he says something is going to either be done or not done. You can just count on it. And he says, you're going to go after these people. Well, you're going to go through me first. You're going to persecute these people. One of two things is going to happen, basically. <laughs> I should say one of, one of two things possibly could have happened. Either he becomes a Christian or the Lord destroys him. And the Lord... And the Lord trains him and he, 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 he saves him. Isn't that incredible? So we see in chapter 9, we saw that he sought this authority, breathing out threatenings and slaughter. And we see basically, if we go back to chapter 9 and verse 3, basically we see these verses, he saw a light. Now here, here we read in chapter 26 that he saw a light and then... Look what we can find out back in chapter 9. Can somebody go back to chapter 9 and read verse 3?
That's right. And there was, so we see basically in verse 13, At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven in chapter 26, above the brightness of the sun. So there's actually some new information. Basically, we're learning here, who is the light of the world? How does this light overcome darkness? Saul was blinded spiritually and then physically. What was this light? John chapter 8, 12. Could someone read that, please? John 8, 12. In the darkest parts of our life, there's nothing better than having that light of Christ. There's no better glow, there's no better revulsion glory, there's no better encouragement, no matter how bad it gets. And Christ is the light of the world, and never will darkness overtake that light. And he's showing this to Paul. And it's amazing how physically and spiritually both Paul, Paul was blinded. At first he was blinded spiritually, and the Lord, it's like the blind man in John chapter 9, remember how he was blind two ways. He was blind in his eyes, and he was blind in his heart. And the Lord lit the light up in his eyes and he could see for the first time and he went to the Pharisees and says, how could you hate this man? How could you hate this Jesus? Look what he did to me. Even his own parents turned him away. But he, his heart was lit up so bright that he couldn't miss it. And he was not only opened his eyes to, see the blind, to, to take the blindness away, but his heart was opened up to see the gospel of Jesus Christ and to find out what true salvation is all about. And that's what happened to Paul here. That's an incredible miracle, Pastor. Once again, this is a really good example of how Paul was not looking for God, but God was looking for him. That's right. And it's a good example of how God chooses us, we don't choose him. That's, that's exactly right. I saw this, that's a, that's a great point. I saw this post on a, a local church that has these baptisms, and they have this big bucket. It's this, this great big bucket, it's black, and then you stand in the bucket, this, there, this woman preacher, whatever, she baptizes you, and the t-shirt that you wear when you go to get baptized says, I have decided to follow Jesus during the baptism. You never decided to follow Jesus, you never would have on your own. You couldn't, you didn't have the ability to do that. If you decided to follow Jesus, he decided first. And that's, that, that's, that's very important, what Pastor Olson is reiterating. So we see saw light. Here, here we get the time of day. When? This is what we don't get in chapter 9. It was at midday. It was at noon. Look at that. There's another, there, there, there's another component. At midday, I saw a light from heaven. And we get more detail. It's above the brightness of the sun, shining not just around Saul, but all those around him. And every one of them fell. They all fell. You can imagine even probably the donkey that he was riding on, taking all of his weapons of mass destruction to Damascus, probably fell also. Because the light was just so blinding. That's incredible. We see here, there, that we see that there are witnesses here of what happened in chapter 9. If you go back to chapter 9, verse 7, they saw this refulgent glory of Christ, and the light was so bright. It's like kind of like when Moses came down on Sinai. And he was lit up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> he was glowing. And that's an incredible sight that had to have been. Can you imagine seeing something like that? We see that this light is being confirmed by Dr. Luke twice. And we now can identify through both, by, by both parts of Scripture, passages 
that this light was Christ. So now we're identifying who this light is. That's all there. Then we see in verse 14, he heard a voice. He was fallen to the earth. Everyone around Saul was knocked off of their feet. And this is the power of Christ. Remember when there was a cohort of soldiers that came to detain Jesus by the direction of that evil traitor Judas. We see that all these men here with Paul, they all fell to the ground in John 18, 6. As soon as then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. That's the power of Christ. A cohort of Roman soldiers was about 300 soldiers. And when the Lord said both those words, when Judas had just given him that wicked kiss, they all fell. They all, all 300 of them fell at once. And here, all these men around Paul, they all fell. And Paul fell. And Paul got up, but he was blind. We see here in verse 15, Christ identifies himself. Again, prefacing his identity. And look how important this is. He says, I am. Why do you think he said, I am Jesus? You know that his ineffable main, the ineffable name of our Savior is our Lord Jesus Christ. Why did he say, I am Jesus, on the road, when Paul was on the road to Damascus? I mean, that's his earthly name. Why didn't he say, I'm your Savior, I'm your King? Why did he just say that? He was catering to Paul. Saul would have only known him as Jesus. And another thing is, here Christ is speaking from the right hand of God, and he's calling himself Jesus. That way there could be no doubt as to who resurrected from the dead. That's perfect evidence. I mean, this, this should increase your faith in your heart. Jesus, Jehovah is I am. What Jesus is saying here, I am Jesus, whenever you hear that great I am statement, I am means Jehovah, not Yahweh. That's this new name that someone came up with. It's Jehovah. Jehovah, I am. Look at all the names of Jehovah. What's it, what does Jehovah Jireh mean? Anybody remember that? Jehovah Jireh was when basically Abraham had laid out Isaac on that altar of obedience, and he was sprawled out, and his little son said, well, who's going to be the sacrifice? And he said, the Lord knoweth. Just like Ezekiel said when the Lord asked him, can I raise these dead bones? He said, thou knowest, Lord. And Abraham said, the Lord knows. And he's laid out, he's getting ready to be, I mean, cut to pieces. And all of a sudden, that little ram comes out, and then Abraham says, that's Jehovah Jireh. The only time you ever see that scripture... Jehovah, the great provider of all things. What about Jehovah Nisi? That's a good one. Remember that one? Does anybody remember that story? Jehovah Nisi. Remember what Moses had to do when the Amalekites were attacking the Israelites and they had their first real battle? His arms had to be held up. They had to hold it. Aaron held his arm. I think another family member held his arm. As long as his arms were up, they were victorious. If he put his arms down and he wasn't pointing them to God, they were being defeated. And so when they won the war, they won that battle, Moses said, this is Jehovah Nisi, the God of banners. And you can stretch that to a lot of meetings, but it, what it means is he's invincible. Jehovah Nisi can never be defeated, ever. Jehovah Kwana, I am a jealous God. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. There's so many names for Jehovah. And then you take that and you plug it into John... We've gone over many times all the I am statements here. And here Jesus says to Paul, I am Jesus. He's saying Jesus is Jehovah. 
I know we're all sitting here like, oh, so what? Yeah, Christian, I'm a Christian. People have no idea what this means. Jehovah is Jesus? The Jews today have a problem with this. They have a real problem with this. I am. Paul goes on and he gives him wonderful, wonderful uh, the Lord gives him a wonderful direction, and Paul gives a, a wonderful overview as he's preaching to these people. And he later on, basically, Paul speaks about the resurrection, and there's another I am statement, another wonderful I am statement. Can someone look up John 11, 25 and 26? Thank you, Faith. What a wonderful question. Believest thou this? Do you believe this? And here Paul is trying to beg them to hear these words. Do you believe that Christ is the resurrection and the life? I mean, this is the problem that Martin Luther, this is Reformation week. This is Reformation Sunday. Can you imagine the, the utter, horrible, absolute, self-flagellating, self-beating, time that Martin Luther went through and then he reads the just shall live by faith and he's like what is faith and he starts studying it in fact he was on a pilgrimage because his mother and father were still alive he was on a pilgrimage to go be, become a monk be, you know, going into all the monastic orders and all and going trying to pray for the souls of his grandparents who had died and he went over to this pilgrimage and he saw, and he saw what was going on. And was, all these horrible things were going on. And he was just beating himself up. And then someone came to him and said to look at Romans 1.16, study the book of Romans, and he learned what faith was all about. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And Paul is telling them, you've got to believe these things. You may not be able to touch them. You might not be able to see them, but there's a common faith that we all have every day of our lives. Just driving out at the end of this driveway, you better have a lot of faith to go out in Bel Air Road. It takes a lot of faith. I've almost gotten clocked about five different times. It takes faith to get on an airplane. It takes faith to go into a knife of a doctor. Do you ever go into a surgeon and you sit there before he operates on you and you go through his whole history of education? Oh, he didn't go to Harvard. No, he went to uh, he went wherever, and that college isn't as good as this college. He ain't working on me. You ever do that? No, because you have faith. Don't you? You go to fast food and you go through a drive-thru and you sit there and you eat that food. You don't know what's, what, where that food's been. And you sit there, you go to McDonald's, you can imagine what the kitchen looks like. Uh, but I want it. You got faith enough to eat it. Many times you get sick. But you got faith, don't you? But people won't believe Jesus. They won't. They just they don't have the faith. I mean, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of ways of looking at faith. He heard a voice fallen to the earth, and everyone around heard that voice, fell to the ground. Jesus says, he says, I am Jesus, and these are the words that Christ spoke to Paul. 
beyond what is recorded back in chapter 9. And look at these verses. Here's what was not in chapter 9, in red letter. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may be received forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. That's what Jesus was saying to Paul on the road to Damascus. You didn't read that in chapter 9. You got, you got to read it now. And you got to hear more words of Jesus himself. He, Jesus is not on this earth anymore. He's resurrected. He's completely, he, is, he is completely glorified and he's on the right hand of God. And he's still speaking. You think he still speaks to us today and he still intercedes for us today? He didn't ascend into heaven and just turn his back on all of us. That's where he really kicked in his work up there. You know how many prayer requests Christ it probably intermediates for every single minute of the, of the day from us? I hope that you're giving him a lot to use because he wants you to. I hope that you're spending time on your knees and begging the Lord. He wants to hear it. He's willing to do the work. And he never sleeps. He never slept here. And you can see here with Stephen. What did Stephen see? And the stones were coming at him and he was getting pounded and the blood was coming out and his head was gashed in and he looks up. What does he see? Boy, I wouldn't want to be one of those men who were hurling them stones at Stephen. Look what Paul went through the rest of his life. He suffered from a real horrible spiritual depression remembering that. Look at, look at, uh, look at here. We see that here, here he, our Lord directs Paul on things he will reveal to him in a course of direction on his missionary journeys, which disciples he would take with him. What are the things that, Paul, that our Lord tried to reveal to him and tell him what he was going to do? Which disciples he would take with him? What to preach in the synagogues and in the Gentile churches? What to say to governors and kings? We read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. Can someone look that up and read that, please? 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 7. Thank you, Matthew. And Paul's bringing it together. He's showing even back here when he's standing before these kings why he wouldn't exalt himself. If he was there to defend himself, to get out of this, he would have been exalting himself. But I glory in God, he says. I glory in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, of such and one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory. 
He says, I have basically, I have stripped myself of all of my pride, thank the Lord for His grace, and I am here to give the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in my opinion, as a Christian, that is unlimited power. You strip yourself of everything and you put it all in the hands of Christ, you've got something massive. And I really believe a lot of people miss that, and I think that's very sad. I mean, he, Paul, Paul really brought it home. Basically, Christ had said to him, you want to persecute the people of the way? I am the way, the truth, and the life. You're going to go through me now. Now look at what Paul's doing in front of kings and magistrates. He had told him, he had said to the disciples, he said, you will stand before governors and magistrates and kings, and if they hate me, they'll hate you. Don't, don't forget that. Paul was astonished, he was trembling, and even to this day, even to, he's standing here in front of Agrippa and Festus, probably Felix was somewhere floundering around, and there was Bernice in her pomp, and there he is giving them. Can you imagine standing right now in front of the General Assembly in Congress with all the mess going on, standing there with Klobuchar, and standing there with Kamala Harris, and all the filth, and standing there and giving them the gospel like Paul? Can you imagine doing that, how wonderful that would be? Well, Saul's eyes were blinded, and now they were opened. And this is Paul's fifth defense. So what's the reaction? What's the reaction of Festus? Now do you see why Festus said, this man is mad? This man is crazy. What in the world is this guy talking about? Who is this Jesus? He had no idea. He was still blinded. He was back where Paul was before he went on that road to Damascus. And Festus says, I find this man crazy. He's nothing but mad. And then as you, as you move forward, you see here how Agrippa says, and it's a tragic statement, almost thou persuades me to be a Christian. Almost? Well, there's no almosts in here. It's the Lord, when He saves someone, it's all, it's 100%. When He does it, it's, you can count on it, and you, you know that the Lord, you've seen people in your lives when the Lord calls them. It's, it, it's a, an incredible change in their life. And here Agrippa, here he has all this pomp, all this glory, all this power, and he misses, he misses the kingdom of heaven over the statement. So where do we go from here? We see here in verse 29, And Paul said, I would do God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. And when he had thus spoken, the king rose up, and the governor and Bernice and they sat, and they that sat with them, and when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man does nothing worthy of death or of bonds. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. And so Paul, now he has been incarcerated for years from, from this establishment. Can you imagine that? And these jails were no, they were no club fed. They, they were no fun. And we'll finish with that this morning. We'll go into chapter 27 next week. Let's finish with prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank Thee and praise Thee, Lord, for this lesson today. Thank Thee, Lord, for what Thou hast shown us through the testimony of Paul the Apostle and for his fifth defense with his, and his missionary journeys. We thank Thee for teaching us, and we pray that we'll hide these words in our heart that we might not sin against Thee. Prepare our hearts for the communion service this morning, and I pray that Thou wouldst just walk greatly with us and that thou wilt guide and direct Pastor Olson as he gives the gospel. And all these things we ask in the name we pray. Amen.